0: Welcome to Gays With Kids, a podcast about creating and raising families together. Today, we're going to be joined by Dr. Ian Jenkins, who's a hospital physician and professor at the University of California in San Diego and the author of Three Dads and a Baby. His book explores his polyamorous relationship with his two partners, Alan Mayfield and Jeremy Hodges, and the so-called thruffles journey to fatherhood together. So this trio made headlines nearly four years ago when following the birth of their first child, Piper, from a surrogacy arrangement, they were able to successfully convince a judge to grant all three of the men legal parenting rights and responsibilities. There's actually a long and super interesting history of courts and judges granting more than two people parenting rights in the U.S. But um, I'm not going to bore everyone with the history lesson. (laughs) If you're interested, reach out and we can nerd out about it over a beer sometime. Uh, But for now, suffice it to say that courts have found it in the best interest of children to grant legal recognition to a third parent in many instances, including cases involving step parents, sperm and egg donors, and polyamorous parents like, uh, like Dr. Jenkins. But what's unique about his case is that he and his partners were the first uh, that we know of that were able to get this recognition at the time of Piper's birth. They didn't have to go advocate to a judge following the birth of their child to prove some sort of detriment. They were just able to convince the judge that there would be a future detriment if the status wasn't given. So the legal stuff aside, we'll also get into all the very interesting questions around how decisions are made in a polyamorous relationship, how they came up with uh, what each of them would be called, what their parenting styles are like, um, all that good stuff if this is your first exposure to a polyamorous family. So if you have more questions about any of this, definitely check out Dr. Jenkins' book, Three Dads and a Baby. It's available at bookstores everywhere. Uh, But for now, please enjoy this peek into Dr. Jenkins' family and his journey to fatherhood. Welcome to the pod, Ian. Very excited to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, okay, before we jump in, I think it could be useful for our listeners to uh, just define some terms. <laughs> uh, so can you uh, break down what polyamory means to you and how it differs from polygamy or from an open relationship, which I think people might be more familiar with? Uh, but yeah, in your own words, what, how do you define a polyamorous relationship? Sure.
1: So it's really broad. Polyamory just means you love more than one person. And... Um... There's lots of different ways to do that. So for our family, we have, uh, you know, three adults. Um, We're all gay men and we live together. uh, And that's our family structure. We have our little kids as well. Um, Other people have what they might call a nesting partner. And then they have other partners that they don't live with, um, but they, um, you know, have important relationships with. And uh, there could be kind of like any pattern uh, between, you know, adults in a polyamorous relationship. So sometimes that just means, I have some friends that are in a four-person relationship. Sometimes it means that there's, um, you know, like a couple that's essentially acting like a married couple, but they've got partners um, that are, you know, unique to them uh, outside the, the home. Uh, so it's it's really tough to define because it really can be any structure. Whereas polygamy, that's when you're married to more than one person and that remains illegal in the United States. Uh, it's still practiced in a number of places in the world. Um, but while there's some major overlap between polygamy and polyamory, um, I'm actually, you know, consider them quite different. For me, polyamory is about uh, love and trust and consent and options and uh, very kind of progressive ideas towards uh, relationships. And polygamy is most often practiced as sort of like a traditional, frequently religious um, practice where you'll see like a fundamental uh, Mormon group where they have coercion and the women and children in those groups don't really have agency and they're not consenting. And uh, there's a lot of control by men usually. Uh, And it's also done in in traditional Islamic communities where the same problems tend to recur. So for us, uh, I'm actually uh, opposed to polygamy in the United States, unless we could protect people from those influences.
0: Thank you for for that breakdown, I think it's helpful for people. I'm I'm from Utah, so very 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 familiar with uh, polygamy. Uh, but but yeah, I, I think uh, the idea of polyamory is a, a relatively newer one for folks. So I think uh, just having some terms set is uh, is a helpful way to begin this. Uh, but so now I'd just like you to tell us a little bit about how your family came to be. Um, starting with uh, so you've been with your partner Alan uh, for uh, for 18 years. Yeah, and, wow. <laughs> and uh, and Jeremy for um, I think you said eight or nine.
1: Nine. Um, and we're, we're coming up on a midway point where we will have spent uh, more time as a thruple than I've, you know, uh, or wow, you know,
0: a, yeah. Um, so in case anyone thinks this is like a phase or a flash in the pan, it's a it's a long term relationship. Uh, but so yeah, why don't, just give us some background on how how you all met and decided to uh, try this out?
1: Sure. Well, um, you know, it starts way back with my first relationship and the first boy I kissed. I spent six years with. And at the end of that time, he decided he needed to move on and, and actually date women. And uh, I, I was like, I love this guy and I want him to be happy. And I'm not going to try to trap him in a relationship where he won't be. So I helped him. I helped him write dating profiles. Like I had dated girls and he had not. So I actually gave him pointers and tips and helped him move on. And it seemed like that had to happen. Like it had to end because he wanted to date someone else, but he still loved me. And we, you know, we felt terrible about that ending. And, and so I started thinking, like, why does this really wonderful six-year relationship have to end just because, you know, we're not monogamous animals? And that was kind of the genesis of me realizing, like, I might be polyamorous and I don't have jealousy. Like, I, I don't mind if a partner of mine has feelings or enjoys time with somebody else. Um, and so after Alan and I were together for a number of years, we started to explore dating other people together as a couple Um, and really didn't have a great fit. We were worried that, you know, someone could come in and be disruptive. Like what if that person was a great partner? Would one of us, you know, decide to split off and, and, and start a new relationship. And so, um, we actually were kind of frightened to finding someone who was a really good match because we thought that might be more disruptive. And then I ran into Jeremy (laughs) and he seemed really interesting and funny and he had an interesting job and works in endangered bird conservation and is a zookeeper and just seemed like super friendly and polite and, and look kind of at lovable. So, um, you know, he at that time was not interested in dating a couple at all. And we were like, that's fine. Like we never have too many friends. Why don't we just hang out? And, uh, we had dinner together and we just had like a great time and decided to do it again the next night and spent the next
0: week, basically every evening getting to know each other and things developed from there. So what was that process like, um, you know, coming out? Obviously, first, you had to come out as a gay man, and then you're coming out as uh, polyamorous. Um, what was that like with friends and family? How have people taken to uh, to your relationship?
1: We've been really lucky. I mean, I think the biggest step for people is, like, you know, they already knew we were gay. So um, that that was more of a challenge. Uh, but for me, I just, like, told my parents, once we knew this was, like, a real thing, like, hey, I, you know, we're dating someone else, and it seems like this is going to be a long-term thing. And they were just like, oh, okay. They didn't know what to say, but they, they didn't really care. And, uh, they've really integrated into the family. Um, everything's like completely normal, like just as if there were two of us. Um, Alan's family comes from a Catholic background and they already, you know, they knew me and and Alan were together for, you know, like nine years. So, um, they, you know, took like a, a little beat to sort of say like, Hey, is this, you know, um, infidelity and was like, realized like, no, if everyone's uh, on the same page and it's an open and trusting relationship um, just like any other then that's fine with us and so that that was really quick too jeremy's parents had the hardest time uh, his father's actually a pastor in the Nazarene church which is a pretty conservative um, group and um, you know his mother had to really kind of get her head around this and was concerned that it was um well certainly not the family structure she wanted she was uncomfortable with just gay in general because she thought that meant no grandkids spoiler alert there's grandkids And um, she was, you know, just really concerned that it it couldn't be normal and therefore had to be unhealthy. Um, And so we just rolled the dice. I flew them out and they spent a week with us and uh, it was actually fine. There was, you know, some growing pains along the way, but I think she did an amazing job for someone who was never trained or had any experience with gay or polyamorous families to get to know us and accept us and is now, um, don't tell the other grandparents this, but like our premier grandmother. Um, oh wow. <laughs> she's fantastic with the kids. She's always playing games with them. She teaches them things about life and behavior and relationships that they still talk about and remember. Um, so just it's been great. You know, and I think like that's a great lesson for families where you have someone who's not approving. Um, kids, as you grow up and, and you especially if you had grandkids, like you have the leverage. Uh your parents are gonna want to be part of your life, they're gonna wanna be part of your grandkids' life, and then you get to set the terms. Uh, And it's actually a great feeling. And, you know, there's an opportunity for everyone to grow and accept uh, some people that are different from what they envision for their kids, I guess.
0: Absolutely. Um, And so speaking of your kids, let's talk about that journey. So when did the discussion of fatherhood first come up uh, with uh, either of your partners? And was it something that was always in the cards for you?
1: Yeah, Alan and I always talked about it, but it seemed like a huge hurdle. And we're like, who are we going to do this with? Like, you know, do we want to use a surrogate? That seemed like kind of a stranger thing. I mean, obviously, like a a friend surrogate would have been a preference. And we had some friends who maybe wanted to be mothers that we could have maybe co-parented with. And it it just seemed like a huge, insurmountable task. And we also honestly were worried about disrupting our lives. Um, It's a big deal to have kids. So uh, we hadn't done it. And then when Jeremy got involved, he was like, listen, I I always thought I was going to get married and have like a nice wedding. And I definitely expected to have kids. And, you know, we need to think about doing this. Um, And so it was actually the gift of these two amazing women that got us started. Um, We were approached by two of Jeremy's friends uh, who were a lesbian couple, and they had three kids through IVF and they had two leftover embryos that they didn't want to discard, but they didn't want to give to a stranger. And so they said, like, hey, we would like you to raise our kids, and we'd like to be like, you know, we're not going to be parents; uh, we'll have no like rights per se, but we want to be like aunt figures across town. And we're like, that's amazing! Like, our kids would have siblings, um, a built-in community; they would have uh, women that love them. That that would be great. And so we, you know, accepted that offer, and um, that was our first leg of this journey.
0: Walk us through the uh, birth of your first child, Piper.
1: Well, there's enough content there for a book, actually. <laughs> maybe a uh, follow-up. There you yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, there were there were some crazy things that happened. We had, I, I think, I counted over twenty-three, maybe twenty-four separate legal contracts and steps we had to go through because we were poly and we're not married, and so that meant that each of us had to have a separate contract with each of the women, with the um, you know surrogate that we used. We had to create like a parenting contract the IVF clinic insisted on that. We had to be separately represented for it, even though it was our own document. Um, so it was like crazy and expensive. We had some health scares. Um, and you know, then we had to go through uh, a big battle to be all legal parents of our children. So California has, um, a law that says that you can have three parents of a child if it's detrimental to a child not to have that third parent added. But, um, that had never been used in a case like ours because our child didn't legally exist yet when we needed this done. Like we, you want to have a, a birth order before your kids are born when you're using a surrogate. And the judge is like, I can't use that law because your child hasn't experienced detriment because she doesn't exist yet legally. So we had to convince the judge to take an entirely different tack on that um, and use some other case law and an existing um you know, precedent to to say like she would make this exception for us, and it was we became the first family anywhere that we know of that was a polyamorous or triad family to be named the legal parents of a kid uh, at its birth. Um, that was exciting. That was like a ending of a movie courtroom drama. Tears shed. Um, would have shouted and clapped, but it seemed like inappropriate at the time. Uh, <laughs> we waited till we got
0: inside. But- So you've described this uh, court scene a little bit um, in the past, but uh, can you set the stage for us?
1: Yeah. So we we went into the court day thinking everything was going to be fine because our lawyer said this is a liberal judge and she'll be able to help you. And she already knows about your case and she thinks that you're going to be fine parents. But when we got there, she was like, legally, I'm not allowed to do this. Um, This would be creating precedent. I'm a lower court. I can't do that. So you have to go to a higher court. You have to appeal me. And we're like, we didn't want to be fighting a legal battle. We just wanted to be dads. It was super discouraging. Our attorneys went back and forth with her for, uh, like about half an hour, I think. And she, I mean, she knew there were laws. She had done all this research heading into it and saying like, I can't use this law because of, you know, the child doesn't exist yet. And the other surrogacy laws said, uh, you know, they were intended for two parent families. And, And she was like, that's the intention of the, um, the legislators who wrote this. So I can't help you. And I was, you know, I'm, it, this is my idea, right? To be polyamorous uh, and have uh, a strange family, so I, I'm the groundbreaker there. But it was uh, I was just gonna like let it happen. I was like, oh, this is really sad, too bad. But Alan got up and was like, no, you need to hear our story, like swear us in, and interrupted the court proceedings. The judge had us all swear in, and then we had about two minutes apiece to impress on her how important this was. And I think that that was the biggest thing is we just said like, listen, we love this child. Um, we don't want anything bad to happen to her. If we're not parents, if one of us gets killed then, um, you know, we'll lose all the the benefits of that person because we're not married. Uh, if, you know, somebody splits off, which we don't think is ever going to happen, but uh, if they did, like they wouldn't have any legal responsibilities if they weren't a legal parent. So that would deprive the child. And we just made our case mostly emotionally. And I talked about, you know, feeling the kid kick through our surrogate stomach and hiccup and stuff. And um, then she, we just saw this look on her face and she was like, there's no way I can deprive this family of their kid. How do I How do I do this?
0: Uh, And she found a way to use
1: existing surrogacy law to say that we would all be parents.
0: That's great. I mean, it makes sense to me that you would want to not to have to show a detriment to the child (laughs) in order to get that protection, right? Don't force a trauma on a child before uh, you know if, if, if you can avoid it just by making everyone a legal parent beforehand. But let's let's talk a little bit more about. Why it's so important to the three of you to uh, all have legal uh, rights and responsibilities and ties to this child? Why did it matter so much to you?
1: Yeah, some people when they when they hear about our story, they kind of push back and they say, like you just wanted to do this to change things or make noise or you know confront us with your lifestyle or something like that. And it reminds me of the discussion about like gay marriage versus civil unions. Separate but equal is inherently unequal. And so gay people needed to be able to be married like everybody else. Uh, without some kind of clauses or distinctions um, for for equality. And equality matters. But you could get, at least in many states, the same benefits, legal benefits, being civil unioned as you could getting married. This is different. We we did this entirely to protect our kid. Uh, We weren't trying to get in the news or do anything like that. We just wanted to make sure the kid was protected. So some examples are uh, if I were not the legal parent of my own children, I couldn't take them to the pediatrician. I couldn't consent for their medical procedures if you know other parents were out of town or couldn't be reached or something like that. If I got killed, my pension with the University of California would have just disappeared, and that's a huge part of the benefit of working for UC. And so that would have been a huge loss for our family and our kids' future and their college funds and things like that. Um, when we travel, like we all want to be like legal parents, so there aren't you know. Uh, any kind of unexpected, unpleasant situations in another country. And we do take our birth certificates when we go somewhere else. And, you know, we actually were stopped in Mexico um, at the airport and they were like, What's going on here? Why do these three men have these children? And we were like, Oh, great, no problem. Let me show you the birth certificate. And we were able to just pull that out. And they're like, Oh, that's so cool. We didn't know this was a thing, but like, welcome to Mexico. And, you know, we actually didn't mind them doing that because, like, anyone who's looking out for the safety of a kid, we're like, "Ah, oh, sure, go for it. Like, ask us questions. Like, we expect you to have questions. Um, but we never want to be in a situation where, like, I'm watching the kids while my partners are at dinner, and then something happens, and then people are questioning who I am or why I have the kids. So, uh, those are those are probably the biggest ones for us. We also just wanted to say, like, you know, we never intend to split up, but nobody knows the whole future. Um, and if, uh, you know, one of us left the relationship, then they wouldn't have any responsibilities or rights. Um, and that would be a terrible situation, and no, no parent wants to be in that situation. That's why we have, you know, divorce courts and and custody arrangements and things like that. So, we we had to be parents.
0: So, you have decided uh, to not get married, which you know, not that marriage would give you all the rights and responsibilities and um, uh, ties in this instance. But uh, can you talk a little bit about um, your views on marriage in a polyamorous relationship and uh, and where you kind of see the future of of legal recognition of people in uh, polyamorous relationships
1: sure um gee big question we you know alan and i never got married and partly it's just because you know we're like we're not religious alan did not have a great experience growing up in a catholic church um he's not in love with the things the catholic church is doing now and i just have been like an atheist ever since I, i went to the first church thing i was like why am i here i don't belong here and so i also felt like constant pressure from religious groups. When I was in college, uh, we had some pretty conservative religious groups there that attacked um, me and my community. And I I just never felt like I needed a church to validate my relationships. And I also didn't care what the government said about my relationship because I didn't have a great feeling about the government either. At that time, they were discriminating actively against gay people. And so I didn't want either of these bodies to officiate any relationship I had. So uh, I just figured I wasn't going to be a marriage kind of guy. Um, now I I don't feel strongly about it. Um, but we haven't done it because it would be unequal. Like two of us would be married and one of us wouldn't, and that would feel a little strange. So we would certainly consider it, um, for like benefits. And I think that if like I get pancreatic cancer in a month, I would probably marry, uh, Jeremy because that would allow him to have my, uh, my pension primarily. Uh, We already have set up wills and trusts to make sure that our assets go into community property without huge tax burdens. Um, And it would have been nice not to have to do that. It wasn't cheap. Um, We are very lucky, two physicians and a zookeeper. And so, um, you know, we we were able to do these things and have these kids, but it would have been better if we, um, you know, had some kind of opportunity to like civil union, um, several partners.
0: And there are some places, I mean, it's a very slow start to this, uh, but the towns of Somerville uh, and Cambridge and, and Massachusetts have passed some form of legal recognition for, uh, I don't think it necessarily, it's, it's any three individuals is my understanding. Um, but so do you, do you see that kind of act- activism or advocacy on, on uh, the part of the polyamorous community becoming um, something that they're going to be looking for, that kind of recognition across the country? Um, you know, I don't feel like I can really
1: speak for that group. I don't know too, too many of them. I I feel blessed to have a bunch of them reach out to me, um, after the book publication and some news items, um, and kind of hear some different stories, but a lot of them are still completely closeted. And I think legal recognition will help nudge some of the people out of the closet. I think it's great for other people to lead by example and and just be open about who they are and, and the relationship they have, which is really not that unusual, Uh, So make it easier for others to come out. Uh, But legal recognition would certainly be nice. Uh, I've communicated with the legal group behind those laws. They're working on introducing similar legislation in the Bay Area. And they're sort of obviously targeting the more liberal areas of the country where this is going to be successful. And um, we've talked about uh, whether I could help in San Diego um, and kind of happy to do anything I can for that cause. Uh, I do think that this is a great way to sort of have the law reflect the families that already exist. Like people will say, what about the children? Well, three parents is better than two. Uh, I'm sorry, but that's just how it is. Like it's so much easier. Right now, um, my kid has a fever and we just did COVID tests this morning. And because there's three of us, two people are at work and I'm taking care of them. And like, it's just, it's great to have that extra help. And there's different things we all bring to the relationship. And these families do exist. Uh, and so by denying recognition to polyamorous families, what the government is doing is just making their lives harder. It doesn't help children. It makes kids' lives worse. And it's not stopping anyone from having polyamorous relationships. So it's just counterproductive. It's like saying, oh, w- you know, we don't want gay people to have relationships. So we're going to deny them marriage. Well, all that did was make their families more difficult and make things harder for their kids. So if you want to save the kids, let the polyamorous people have recognition, let the gay people get married.
0: I think any parent listening to this would readily agree that uh, the more cooks in the kitchen, the more people, the more love that you have in a, in a kid's life, um, the better. So I, I don't, It doesn't seem like it should be that big of a stretch for people to understand that. Um, and what I find interesting about the fight for legal recognition is that, uh, at least my understanding, is the laws in Massachusetts right now, um, it benefits more than just polyamorous uh, parents. It's also, it really is any sort of, you, you, you could enter one of these unions with to friends that are life partners or a single friend or you know it can be uh constructed through um uh through families and i I think it's it's some it's just like you're saying it's a recognition that people's families come in all different uh ways and who is the government or religion to tell us you know what benefits we should be deriving from from these connections um so you've mentioned your your book and we haven't gotten into that yet so i would love to hear just i mean First of all, the pro- what what inspired you to compile all this into a book um, and what that process was like. Um, and then also just your decision, like you said, a lot of polyamorous uh, people are, are still closeted about it for for reasons that I think are pretty um, easy to understand, especially in, p- in certain parts of the country. Just the, the um, social recognition of, of these uh, partnerships are not. Uh, to the level now where we see a lot of recognition of LGBTQ rights and uh, and the slow progress that we've seen there. But so, what was the what was the process like writing this book, and what made you decide to do it?
1: Uh, well, writing's been a hobby of mine since I was uh, in fifth grade, and um, I, I like to write fantasy stuff, inclusive fantasy fiction where people have different um, you know races, religious backgrounds, ethnicities, um, the strong female characters, uh, different sexual orientations, polyamorous people. Um, And so maybe some young people would like to read a book that um, includes everyone, not just a standard white male heteronormative protagonist. That's kind of fun for me. Uh, And medical narrative as well. So stuff based on my experience as a doctor. But while we were going through this journey with um, becoming parents and the surrogacy process, crazy things kept happening. Things that were like really funny, things that were infuriating, things that were scary and then heartwarming. And I thought, like, this is clearly a story. Um, I want to write this. And so I asked my partners, can I write a book about this? And they said, "Uh, okay. And so I worked on it. Um, I tried to keep up with the events as they occurred. uh, And I finished it like in the first six months of Piper's life. Um, And every time something bad happened, I was like, listen, we're going to get through this. Hopefully this book ends well. But man, this will be a great chapter. Uh, Like I remember our um, physician like told us this elaborate completely untrue story about why they couldn't work with us uh at the last minute right before we were supposed to implant. And it was hugely upsetting to be lied to and to only have caught them in this lie because of a huge coincidence in my medical background. Uh so it was very upsetting, threw us in a lurch. We had to like rush find a different doctor, but that ended up being a great experience. We ended up with this amazing physician who was super welcoming and kind to us. And I was like again <laughs> That wasn't fun, but man, that's going to be a chapter. So um, the reasons to write the book, I mean, I think like it's been a terrible year, right? We've all been suffering from uh, either the direct effects of the pandemic or the impact it's had on our social lives and stressors and jobs and incomes and everything. It's been terrible. And so it's just like a feel good story because people, you know, become parents and love their child and, and have a great time and it ends well. But the other stuff I wanted to do was um, to kind of normalize having more than one partner, because I feel like that's actually human nature. It's not mandatory. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. But like, I think that option should be out there and people should understand that so that when they start forming relationships, you know, early in their lives, they know that that's an option for them. Just like you don't have to be straight. Like you, you might have a, a different feeling in your heart and you can follow it. Um, and I also wanted polyamorous families with kids to know that they can all be parents. And so I wanted to make sure that people knew about the legal precedent and could potentially benefit from referring to it.
0: So you're you're certainly among the more visible polyamorous families that are raising children, uh, but you are not the only one, like you, like you mentioned. I think uh, some are probably less keen to be so public about it. But so what has that been like being, you know, not necessarily a spokesperson, but to be uh, so public about your own experiences, do you feel like a... Uh, some weight of responsibility to be to be as vocal as you are to to try to bring some visibility to these kinds of families and what has that been like for you and your family uh
1: my partners don't love the publicity um it's been kind of stressful to be honest and we wanted really to protect our kids from any kind of um notoriety it doesn't seem to do good things for people's brains to be um (laughs) famous or you know being hounded by publicity in any way. So we we wanted to keep that all separate. We try to keep um, pictures of the kids to their early life. So they'd be less recognizable. And our kids are totally unhooked. I mean, our children don't watch TV. um, And they haven't seen a movie. Uh, And we plan to keep it that way as long as we can. So we're mostly about protecting the kids. Uh, I, I think it's nice for people to be willing to lead by example or be public about who they are. It makes it easier for other people. Um, but it's not mandatory. I don't think anyone who isn't ready to do that should feel bad about it. Um, But if you have the ability to come out, I think it's our job to do so to help everyone else. And we were in a position where it was easy for us to do that. We're in Southern California. We're affluent and lucky. Um, We lived in communities where we weren't going to be ostracized or have people try to take away our children or affect our employment. And so like I felt like I needed to do this because it's much harder for other people and someone has to, you know, get ahead of that curve and, and, and going to create some awareness. Um, And I think that when people uh, hear about us or, you know, read our book or see anything in the news, they'll kind of see like, oh, he's just like a married couple, except there's one more. Just like when you go into a home and there's three kids instead of two,
0: you don't really blink an eye. You're like, all right,
1: that's the number I'm dealing with. And it's otherwise it's a normal family.
0: I'm I'm curious uh what you would like to share about um how your family functions, how it might be different from from other families, how how you make parenting decisions among the three of you. Uh what is it like to be um I would say both as parents and not um what what are the differences that you see in your in your relationship versus uh some other more quote unquote traditional ones.
1: Well, the first thing is it was a lot easier. So, you know, in most families um there's a man and a woman. Um and in others, you have two men, two women, but polyamorous family is relatively rare. We had a lot of extra help. So during the first week of our kid's life, uh, someone would go to bed, maybe at like 10, and then somebody else would stay up with the kid until about one, put down Piper then, and then the overnight parent would get up three times, maybe overnight for a newborn baby, and then uh, hand off the kid at 6am and sleep in a little bit. And then they'd get up and uh, no one was tired. Like literally no one was ever tired during our child's newborn phase. There were three dads and there was our bio mom egg donor who was visiting. And we even had grandparents there because it was pre-pandemic. So it was just amazing. And uh, I feel like there's this myth that we all have to like make a picket fence and close ourselves off. And people struggle through early childhood on their own in this couple approach. And I, I don't think that that's true. I don't think our societies were ever built like that. Uh, until recently. I don't think that humans are meant to do that alone. Um, So get yourself a community, uh, get yourself a second husband. I highly recommend it. It's amazing. That's the (laughs) biggest difference. And it's just so much easier when there's an extra pair of hands. Like we had this huge blowout one time when we were traveling and like it was a, it could have been a catastrophe, but like three people holding arms and legs and cleaning and stuff, it just wasn't that big of a deal. So that's great. Some people want to know, like, how can you make decisions? There's three of you. And two people can argue and say, I'm right, you're wrong, vice versa. And there's no resolution to that. But with three, we have a general agreement that, you know, this is why we have judge panels that are odd numbers, like you don't get ties. And so if two people say, like, no, we're not doing that. Uh, the third one has to say, like, listen, I thought I was right. And I see that I have legitimate points here, but we're going to go with the uh, majority rule. And like, we'll we'll all work together on, on making those decisions. So it's actually easier. And whenever we have like, you know, minor tiff in the family. It's nice to have someone who might not be as directly involved if it's between two people and can sort of sit back and say like, listen, like both of you need to change the way you're approaching this, or I see this, your other partner's point here, you know, you need to recognize that and having that kind of like extra insight is really valuable. Um, and I also just learn different things from my partners. I mean, I have a partner who has child psychiatry developmental training and I have another partner who's a zookeeper who raises mammals for a living. And, um, is also like a pastor's son and is really like polite and kind and giving and thoughtful and both of those people are helping me be a better dad
0: i'm sure you also get this question a lot i think you know anyone any gay parent that has a kid understands this just innately but uh you know people are often you know, our allies are straight people, um, interested to know like what the kids think of it all and like how, you know, and for them, it's just their family. It's how they grow up. I assume that this is true for, uh, for the two of your children as well. Uh, but what, uh, what can you say about their perspective on this? I, I know they're still very young, obviously. Um, and what are, I, I guess more importantly over time, how you plan to talk to them about your family and how, uh, it might be, be different from others that they see. Um, and, uh, within the polyamorous parenting community, is there some effort, um, to try to, Uh, increase that visibility among um, yourselves to, uh, again, like visibility is uh, important, I think, to kids, obviously, to see other families that look like theirs. Is that something that's um, on your mind as well?
1: You know, the first thought I have about visibility for me, I do think it would be nice for the kids to see other multi-person families. Um, But I don't think it's like the beginning and end of the world. We have taught them that some families are different and they have, you know, two dads, two moms, a mom and a dad, or one parent. And ours has three, and so they kind of understand that there's a range of structures, and that theirs is a little different. I think right now they mostly experience that as like sadness for their friends. And I've heard Piper say things like, "You only have two parents. I oh, have wow. three parents." <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah." Um, but the biggest visibility thing that I want our kids to grow up with is is actually more about other issues that we think are probably more socially relevant. And so we want our kids to know about different religions and races. And so we have black dolls for them to play with. We have a black surrogate, which is amazing. We have a Jewish surrogate, which is amazing. And so we're always sort of pointing out to her that people are different. And for us, polyamorous is really not the defining characteristic of our lives or that interesting. We just want them to know that differences are common and um, everyone's the same inside. And that's, that's the important thing. So I'm more worried about other kinds of visibility and making sure that they see a broad selection of like different friends and, and genders and My daughter especially sees that, um, you know, women are leaders and things like that. Um, As far as what they know, we just knew upfront, like kids are flexible and adaptable and they're used to what they live and they're not gonna care about having three dads. They're not gonna know any different. Um, It's gonna be fine. So we just were open and honest with them from the beginning. And we've told them, you know, whatever is age appropriate and we will continue to do so. So we've told uh, our four-year-old or soon to be four-year-old, like starting back when she was just turning two, um, you have three dads. Um, how, did, how did this happen? Well, a doctor took a little bit of daddy Jeremy and a little bit of mama Megan and put you inside um, Miss Delilah, your um, surrogate mommy. And she grew you and kept you warm for nine months. And then she gave um, you to us when you came out of her belly. And she knows like the whole story. And she'll like walk up to the surrogate and pat her stomach and say, I was in there. You know, every, everyone kind of knows What happened, and you know, people be like, "Well, how can kids understand this?" Like, just like
0: breathing, she's this is her life that she's lived. It's not been an issue for her in the slightest. Absolutely. So you've alluded um, several times throughout the conversation to some of the women that you uh, mentioned that have helped create your family and and how important they are to you and and to your overall story. Anything you want to say about the uh, the surrogates or an egg donor that you've worked with?
1: Yeah, I mean, so the cover of the book says three dads and a baby, but I mean, ultimately, it's a story about amazing women. Um, even though we're all men. And this journey started with these two women that donated us their embryos, uh, which didn't work out, but that was an amazing gift and an incredible amount of trust uh, and started us on this journey. We probably wouldn't be parents without them, or at least something very different would have happened. Uh, Then we had our amazing um, surrogate, first surrogate, Delilah, who was just like this incredible giving person who was like, listen, parenting will make you better people. It will bring more love into the world. It's just a gift I want to give you. And we were just like, oh my God, she was super the whole time. She was our cheerleader through dark times. Um, And she's an actual champion and made like a 10 and a half pound baby without shedding a tear. I mean, I don't know how. Um, And then we have uh, a milk donor, uh, a friend who was a nurse at the hospital who just approached us was like, hey, you're not my patient, but I heard about you from one of the other nurses. Would you like a year's worth of breast milk. And we were wow. like, what? Amazing. He was just like super producer and had a whole freezer full of breast milk and kept making milk for us. And we're just like, wow, this is Incredible. great. So, yeah. yeah. Piper was breastfed her entire first year of life. And anyone who's a parent knows that that breast milk poop is like fantastically better than regular poop. So thank you. Thank you so much, Ashley. Um, and then we have our second surrogate uh, who's also amazing. And, you know, we did meet her through an agency, but it turned out to be a fabulous person. Um, and we delighted working with her, too. And, um, you know, things are now getting back to normal uh, with the pandemic, and so we're bringing the surrogates back into our kids' lives, and um, it's just great that they have these involved, wonderful women um, to help be part of their, you know, uh, periphery of their
0: family, I guess. So this is a minor question compared to some of the heavier um, topics that we've already covered, but I will say that at Gays With Kids the question we might receive more than any other um, from people who are about to become dads, from gay men, uh, gay, bi, and trans men about to become dads, um, is what to call themselves. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, with with, uh, um, parents of uh, the same gender, um, it can, you know, there's limited options and there's a lot of discussion around it. This is just kind of an automatic thing for, you know, for cisgender heterosexual couples. Mm -hmm. But so when you add a third in the mix, uh, I imagine that's even a a longer conversation. So what what do the kids call you um, and how did you decide?
1: I'm Papa. Uh, Jeremy is Daddy and Alan is Dada. And uh, it wasn't that hard. I mean, I just decided, you know, like Papa wasn't everyone's like big favorite. So I was like, well, I'll just take that like it's not determining to me and then i don't really remember how they chose between data and daddy we talked about using some sort of other name like baba which is a common name for a dad in like other cultures uh and we ended up not doing that um just thought it might confuse the kids when they were you know at preschool or something uh but i think that's an option too and um the the our our, our daughter is like this really precocious child and she will come up to others and so they like hey uh jeremy says he wants to do this for dinner and we're just like oh okay so you're, you're like, just turned three and you're calling us by your first name, or our first names, so that's great. Uh, so I, I have a feeling that we're gonna end up being like Daddy Ian, Daddy Jeremy, Daddy Alan sometime
0: soon, or maybe just first name. Um, w- whatever works for her is fine with me. Amazing. Um, so if people are listening to this, um, I think they could be inspired on a couple levels. First of all, maybe exploring the confines of their own relationships. Uh, maybe they, they're interested in exploring polyamory. Um, so what, would, what kind of advice would you give to someone that might be in a partnership now and is, is curious about this uh, side of themselves? Um, how would you suggest that they explore that, um, particularly if they already have children or are interested in having children?
1: Well, um, the best thing to do is to be discussing this as you form a relationship. Know who you are and what you are comfortable with or what your desires are. And go into a relationship so you can have honest discussions about that from the beginning. It's a lot harder to initiate that discussion after you've been together with someone for 20 years and they thought it was a monogamous deal. So um, that's the first thing. And that's why awareness is, is important. Because I think it's nice to go into a relationship saying like, listen, I don't expect to be your everything. And if you want to have another relationship or you would benefit from that, I would support you doing that because I care about you and your experiences and I'll be happy if you're happy. If you can do that, if you have the maturity to do that, and you can control your own jealousy, then you might both have a fantastic experience like we have. And it, it's been great. Um, or you at least might want to explore it. Communication is the key. Talk about it endlessly with everyone involved. Um, be really respectful to anyone that comes to to join you, You know, even if it's just for a date. Like that person's trying something new too. And, and don't treat them like a, I don't know, like a vacation or, um, a toy, they're a person with feelings and and treat them respectfully. If you are already in a relationship and you're thinking that you need to have an open relationship or a um, polyamorous relationship, um, I think it's nice to sort of ask yourself if you would do the same for your partner. And if you, you know, can't, then, um, (laughs) polyamory might not be for you because I think it should be equitable. Uh, communication is key. And, and if it's not going to work out, if you feel like that's central to who you are and your partner is not interested in that, and, like that relationship might end. Um, so you really have to make that decision. Is this more important than the primary relationship that I'm in? Um, but I hope that what everyone can get out of it is like, there could be more. Like It's not a zero-sum game. If your partner has a great experience, it doesn't mean that you've lost something. Um, and it doesn't mean that you can't also have one. So it's not like a slice of pie that, you know, only one person's going to get, like you can bake a lot of pies, it turns out. So, um,
0: consider that and, uh, life can be, um, uh, very different than the way we were trained when we were little kids. Dr. Ian Jenkins, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to hear more about, uh, his journey to fatherhood and his, uh, and his relationship, check out his book, three dads and a baby, which is available in bookstores now. Uh, thank you again so much for being here and for sharing um, a bit about your family and your and your journey.
1: My pleasure, David. Thanks for having me.